Welcome to the Elephant Dialogues. Today, I'm talking with my friend Haley Beckstrand about abortion. And as we focus on how to improve our conversations, the framework for this episode is a concept called motive attribution asymmetry. I know it's an overly complicated name, but it's a pretty simple concept. Motive attribution asymmetry is the idea that we understand our own ideologies are based in love, but we assume that our opponent's ideologies are based in hate. And if that's how we enter a conversation, it's going to be really hard to work together or make any progress, but we see it all the time in politics. If you're interested, you can read a lot more about this in an awesome book by Arthur Brooks called Love Your Enemies. There's a great example of this idea in the characters of Harry Potter and Severus Snape. These two spent seven books being arch enemies. There were times when Harry was pretty sure Snape was a Death Eater, a literal servant of evil. But by the end, Harry ended up naming his son after this guy, saying he was one of the bravest wizards he knew. So what changed? Spoilers here, but in book seven, Harry learns about Snape's motivations. He learns that he wasn't motivated by hate, but quite literally by love. That simple shift changed Harry's entire understanding of this man. So that's the goal today. Abortion is a heavy topic, not one we're going to easily solve. But if we can begin by understanding that both sides are largely motivated by noble ideas, I think that's a great start. A quick note about this episode, we are talking about abortion, so this comes with a mild content warning. May not be appropriate for really young kids, but nothing too graphic, I promise. America's developed a culture of contempt, a habit of seeing people who disagree with us, not merely as incorrect or misguided, but as worthless. We cannot solve the challenges of our time unless we solve them together. It was an opportunity to practice empathy. There's a huge empathy deficit in our culture. We don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better. Toward what our President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. My first question with this, as we talk about abortion, mm -hmm. I want to get your opinion on my role in this conversation, because I am a man. Sure. And so coming into this conversation, one of my biggest blind spots is not being a woman. <laughs> and I will never be in a situation where I have to decide for myself if I'm going to get an abortion. Right. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I really appreciate you asking that, because I do think it's super important um, when we're talking about this issue to be sensitive that it will affect females more than men. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to just acknowledge. And I think, I mean, as a rule of thumb, definitely men certainly have a voice and a place in this discussion, absolutely. That's good, because if... If you answered differently, this would have been a very short <laughs> episode. Let's end the episode Thanks now. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but no, so I think absolutely. Um, but I, I do think it's a good rule of thumb in this situation to, as um, a man, to, to listen first. And I think women should definitely have a voice in this. And, you know, I would even say the primary voice mm -hmm. in this. And that's, I mean... We'll get more into that later, but certainly I think men, obviously this is an issue that affects everyone and touches everyone. And it's, you know, it's an issue about life and humanity and um, society and, and decision-making. And so I think it certainly affects men, but I think just a good rule of thumb is is to listen first and to have empathy for women um, in this in this debate because it, it affects them more. Yeah, so. I agree. Um, 
you mentioned that it affects like society and humanity and those are some big deals. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of why this is such a hard discussion to have mm-hmm. because it, it does, it affects such big scale right. things, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, a society to me is only as good or as valuable as, as how we treat people and, and the mm-hmm. rights that we grant, right? And I would say primarily that right to life and um, and to humanity. And so mm-hmm. this is obviously a discussion and an issue that, this is why it's so controversial, yeah. right? <laughs> and people are very passionate about it on both sides because it is, it is, it's a big deal that gets to the core, I think, of a lot of other issues and a lot of other philosophical yeah. questions. Well, like you said, it, it it's a question of life, but it's a question of two lives, really, right? And so how do you balance the needs of one over the needs of the other? Right. Um, I want to establish a little bit of my purpose in this conversation and what it's not. So first, what it's not is I'm not going to try and persuade you to change your whole <laughs> ideological system. Fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think if we can just understand where we're coming from, understand the motivations a little bit, um, going back to that motive attribution asymmetry, and if we can just find a little more balance in understanding each other's motives, I think that's a great start. Why don't we start with your story? Sure. What kind of... If your ideas on this have evolved over time, how you've kind of come to your understanding. Yeah, today. absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you asking me to talk about this because this is an issue I'm very passionate about. And I just have to start by, I want to acknowledge that I am certainly not an expert on this issue. Same. and um, <laughs> And that I don't speak for all women. And I have to acknowledge a little bit of my privilege in this discussion because I am a white affluent woman and I um, I know that this issue affects women of color and women of poverty mm-hmm. disproportionately right. and so I just want to acknowledge that yeah. first. Well um, I think that's important and I think what I'm trying to do with this podcast is not talk to experts mm-hmm. necessarily because I'm certainly not one but I'm hoping that if we can facilitate kind of these living room conversations and, and if your aunt is over for dinner and she brings something up my goal is we don't have to run from those conversations. And yeah. if we can learn how to have good conversations, then you can talk about it with your family and you can ask for their advice and, and get you know, their wisdom without having it destroy relationships. Yeah, so I, I love that. Anything to make Thanksgiving a little better <laughs> right, for right? everybody's family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so my story, I mean, I grew up here in Utah. Okay. Um, in Centerville, Utah, just a wonderful place to grow up, we as went you to the know. Same high school. <laughs> went to the same high school. Um, and I grew up in a in a very conservative home. Um, I love my parents, and they taught me. They're really politically involved growing up, mm-hmm. and I I really really appreciate that they gave us that. They were always very involved, um, and and taught us to think critically, um, and to be involved in our society. And so, but I grew up in a very conservative home, and so naturally, I I grew up with a very conservative lens, and um, I kind of saw the world very black and white mm-hmm. as a kid, um, and I think a lot of kids do. Yeah. Um, and even you know into young adulthood, I I saw issues a very certain way, and like you mentioned I, at the beginning, 
I definitely thought people who disagreed with the platform that I was taught were absolutely wrong, you know, had these motivations that were, um, I would even go as far as say evil, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just didn't understand that there was yeah. this other side. Um, and so when I was attending Brigham Young University, I um, TA'd for a class called American Heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I TA'd for that class for five years. And it was uh, a general of political science, history, and economics. And it just really opened my eyes to a lot of different arguments. And um, I had some great coworkers, uh, other TAs who were from different political parties mm-hmm. and kind of fit differently on the political spectrum. Um, and and that's where I started kind of being introduced to great people who I respected mm-hmm. who disagreed. And yeah. I saw that they didn't have those motivations that were negative or nefarious, like you said, but were really positive and came yeah. from a place of um, thoughtfulness and life experience. And that really opened up my eyes just in general to a lot of political issues that I had never really thought about. And... Um, I mean, it definitely kind of did a 180 for my uh, political identity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's when I really started learning a lot about feminism. And the reason I bring that up is because that really informs my mm-hmm. entire view of this mm-hmm. um, debate or right. this discussion, yeah. <laughs> this issue, yeah. is is how I feel about gender equality Um because I, I just had a few experiences, which I don't have to get into in college, that um, made me realize that in a lot of ways, women are not um, treated or seen equally in society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've come a long way. And I'm, I'm, I recognize I have a lot more choice and freedom than did women in the past. But um, that, that is kind of have, has been like a core thing for me is I love politics and I, I love society. And I, as a female, I think it's so important that men and women have equal protection, equal treatment under the law mm-hmm. for a functioning society um, and, and for the society that I want. And so that's kind of, that's kind of my story. I, I graduated, I, I now work in the nonprofit world um, and I'm just really passionate about these issues. So I hope that answers. <laughs> I think that, no, I think that's great. Answer, okay. I think I, think I grew up uh, really similarly to you, actually. I mean, we grew up in the same area, same kind of family and beliefs, I think. And for me, those beliefs are still a large part of my motivation, especially in this issue. I believe that God has commanded us that we should not participate in abortion. So for me... Uh, it's really kind of as simple as that. Um, I believe it's morally wrong. I think it gets a little trickier when I have to figure out how to use those beliefs in advocating for certain policies or certain actions in the political sphere because I think it, it is hard and I think it's wrong to say, my God has commanded this and I believe it this way. Uh, and so you have to abide by these, those same rules, right? But at the same time, our government does enforce certain things like uh, making sure that parents are taking care of their children, uh, making sure they're, they're safe and, and cared for. And for me, I believe that responsibility extends into when you're pregnant. I think once you're pregnant, parents, men and women, have a responsibility to provide and protect that child. So for me, it's not about 
restricting choices for women. It's more about enforcing that responsibility that we have as as parents to take care of our children. And I think that's why a lot of this discussion is centered around when does a, a fetus become a human life and when does it become a person? When does it have those rights that we are obligated to protect? And we honestly really don't have a good answer for that, um, scientifically or religiously. So I think for me, it's more of a question of do we err on the side of caution? And if this is a human life, I, just, I think we need to be really, really careful about abortion and really see it only as a last resort or in cases of rape. Um, so that's kind of my background and my position and my motivations for this. Let me ask you this. What do people misunderstand about your position or the pro-choice movement in general? Yeah, um, I think a lot of people like to label pro-choice as anti-life, mm -hmm. right? That um, those of us who would put ourselves in that camp don't value human life, right? Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is just really untrue. Um, you know, one in four women in the United States will have an abortion in their mm -hmm. lifetime. And and it's just, it's it's an issue that's so much more complex than that. And it's hard for me when people villainize these women mm -hmm. um, who, who choose to get an abortion as not valuing life, because that's just has never been the case of women I've talked to. Um, it's not about a disregard for human life. It's about a lot of other things mm -hmm. that we could get into, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, the reason I love the kind of political leanings and party that I'm in is I do value life and I value the treatment of life um, after birth as mm -hmm. well, right? Like I value good education and good healthcare and those types of things so that people that are born and, and are in our society and have humanity actually have that humanity and have the rights and the um, values. So, you know, a lot of my passions in my life and really my life work, I, you know, I mentioned I, I work in the nonprofit sector. I work at an organization that raises money for 170 children's hospitals across North America. So I definitely value life and um, I value um, ensuring that everybody lives well. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we label, I think that's what people misunderstand about the pro-choice movement is that we don't value it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they. I would just, on both sides, avoid buzzwords, right? Like yeah. killing or murder, or those types mm -hmm. of things. Because for me, it's a lot more complex than that. And I don't think that women who choose that for themselves and for their families and think believe that's the right decision for them don't take that seriously yeah. you know another and along the same lines i think a lot of people think that the pro choice movement like is just about women wanting convenience or those types of things too mm -hmm. and um Anyway, and we could get into yeah. the details, but that's just that has just never been the case from things that I've seen and read and heard. And when I hear a lot about these women's stories, um, I've just seen very, very little evidence for that. Mm -hmm. I think that would be the biggest one, is us here on kind of the pro-choice side value a lot of things, but that doesn't mean we disregard 
you know, how painful and how complex abortion really is, right? right. And and I acknowledge that. I, I think everybody for the vast majority can agree we want to minimize the number of abortions. I right. think that's that's pro-choice, that's pro-life, that's everything. Mm-hmm. It's just about how we do that, what are the rights involved, and who gets to make that decision. Yeah. I think that's what it really comes down to. I want to point that out, what you just said, that we can kind of coalesce around that goal of as few abortions as possible. Nobody really would go recommend an abortion just to have an abortion, right? Right. So I think that's a great thing to, I I don't want to brush over that because finding common goals I think is huge. Yeah. (laughs) And so if we can just talk about not whether or not it's okay to have an abortion, but let's do whatever we can to minimize the number of abortions that we need or that that women find themselves in that place of having to make that decision because that's really what we're trying to avoid, right? Right, and I think I think that's why for me I'm pro-choice, but I'm also very pro-prevention. Yeah. And I and you know, I think and I could get into all of these, but I'm I'm pro healthcare, free healthcare, especially free birth control. Mm-hmm. I think why not? Yeah. You know, and um let's have comprehensive sex education and make sure that people are have all the facts and yeah. are smart and responsible when they do choose to have sexual intercourse. And yeah. so when I'm also pro-choice, I'm also very pro-prevention. And I and I think that's an important goal. Um I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I and I've I brought an article that I can talk about at the end, but I think I am of the opinion uh, that just banning abortion is not going to solve any problems, right? Most of the research shows that, you know, it doesn't minimize abortions. It it actually just puts women's health at risk Mm -hmm. for unsafe abortions. And so I think there are a ton of ways that we can minimize abortions without outlawing them and without forcing women to carry out pregnancies Mm -hmm. and, and... um, have that undue burden on their bodies if they don't want to, or if there's health risks or those types of things. So, um, let me ask you this: You mentioned terms like killing and murder mm-hmm. are are really tough buzzwords. I know a lot of people do see it as as killing mm-hmm. a life or yeah. removing a life. Tell me why you're uncomfortable with those those terms to describe what's happening. Yeah, I think because it gets back to that original point of labeling the other side as evil. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't think most women who get abortions are trying to, you know, have anything to do even with the remotely close of those words, right. murder or kill or, you know, and I think what it does is it shuts down the discussion really fast. Yeah. You know, when you bring in those buzzwords and that passion. Now, yes, of course, core to this issue is when does life begin, mm-hmm. Right. And no one can really agree on that. That's, that's <laughs> right? so tough. And yeah. that's why, you know, Roe v. Wade was such a landmark case because it was kind of the first compromise to say, okay, in the first trimester of pregnancy, no fetus is viable outside the womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no evidence that they feel pain. So there's no viability here. And, you know, it is still a woman's body. So we're going to say in the first trimester, all abortions are legal, right? That's what Roe v. Wade did. Because viability, I mean, modern medicine's getting better and better, but it's usually around 24 weeks. Um, So it's hard. It's a hard issue, right? Because when does life begin? Is it at contraception? Because that's 
or conception, excuse me, because, you know, then that brings up a lot of issues about in vitro and, you know, these microscopic embryos and Mm -hmm. and what that is. And and do those embryos have rights that outweigh the rights of a woman and and body autonomy? Um, And so anyway, back to your question, I think avoiding words like kill and murder and, you know, and disregard of life just to keep the conversation going yeah. because that shuts it down, right? Yeah. That that puts it on a defense and offense position um, versus let's actually talk about some of these complexities yeah. and some of the real reasons that abortions are happening. I think that's a good a good thing to understand. And for those listening that really do consider it killing, I think it's a pretty valid opinion to have. I do believe that abortion, depending on the stage, is taking away a life. But you're right, it does hinder conversation. So just be aware of that. And when you are conversing with people, just avoid those strong words. Because like you said, that's how we can move forward and yeah, work together, right? exactly. And I would add to, um, I think another thing that really shuts down conversation about abortion is when the focus is on um, female chastity mm. and female responsibility for sexual interaction. Um, I hear that a lot and it's really hard as a female, you know, the pressure is on women to be kind of the right virtuous virgins to, I don't know, in society, we often really dilute women's sexuality. And so anytime that slut shaming is brought into this of like, if you don't want to get pregnant, don't have sex or don't be promiscuous or don't, you know what I mean? Is I think, again, really shuts down the conversation Mm -hmm. because one, it takes two to tango. Uh And two, I, I mean, I read this really fascinating blog post that talked about how technically unplanned pregnancies, yes, it takes two people, but a female can't get herself pregnant. Right. And so... Anyway, and I could go into that more. I do want to talk about kind of the male's responsibility later. Yeah, okay, good. But I I just think that too, if there's any slut shaming kind of brought in of like talking about women who choose to get abortions or have an unplanned pregnancy as um, promiscuous or, you know, in a negative way, also really shuts down the conversation. And I think it hurts women Mm -hmm. in general and the women who are in this situation. So that would be one other thing that personally I, I wish we would avoid. Do you think there's a conversation about society's view of sex and the responsibility of sex in general? Do you think that's part of this? Yeah, I mean, certainly you can't separate the two, mm-hmm. right? Um, because sex can lead to pregnancy, right? And and to life, right? That's kind of, that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, th- I think it's part of it. When I listen to a lot of how this particular issue is framed, a lot of people um, frame it in that way Mm -hmm. of sexuality and as kind of subjugating women to that, right? Men are kind of, and men, I mean, they don't get a great view either as kind of just these sexual animals who can't control their appetites (laughs) and women as should be virtuous. And if they aren't, you know, these horrible things. So. I definitely see it a lot and I hear it a lot and and that can be really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's part of a larger conversation too about how we talk about sex in society and how we talk about you know gender equality too. Yeah. 
So I ask because um, I'll share this link at the end too, but one of my favorite speakers and thinkers is Jordan Peterson. Do you know him? Um, he's, he's a Canadian professor of psychology. Okay. What I like about him is the way he talks on stage when he's giving a lecture or a presentation, he's not afraid to kind of wander through his own thoughts mm. and he doesn't, he's really hesitant to give like a hard, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is right and this is wrong. So this clip that I'll link to, somebody asks him about abortion and it's like the last 15 minutes of his talk. So <laughs> He kind of said, woof, that's a, thanks for, you know. <laughs> a heavy way to end. <laughs> right. Um, a softball, right, for the very end. Right. But his, his point is kind of that it's really hard to say, yes, abortion is right or no, abortion is wrong. And, and this is the point in the abortion where it's okay or in the pregnancy where it's okay. And his idea is that it, it does kind of go back to society's view of sexual activity mm-hmm. and just in the past, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, how that's changed and with the birth control pill, how it's changed. And and I don't think we've really learned all there is to know about how that affects us and how right. we view sex and how we talk about it. And if it's so rampant on TV and so casual, are there discussions there to be had about is abortion just the Band-Aid that's covering up these deeper issues about sex and the responsibility and the sanctity of sex, you know? So I think that's something that, you know, how do you fix that? <laughs> but, <Sure. laughs> but I do think it's, it's interesting to think about and, and look at. And if I were president, this is a fun game to play, right? <laughs> if I, were president, sure. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't know if it's like tightening the, the ratings on movies so that sex is seen as more of a big deal and mm-hmm. that it's not as casual and it's not as easily accessible. And then how we handle it later and how we handle the consequences is kind of where we get into abortion. Anyway, I think it's a, a, an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think there's kind of two sides of that, right? Like in some ways I, I, I understand and agree you know, that a highly sexualized society has some negatives, for sure, Mm -hmm. and some probably uh, effects that we don't truly know the magnitude of. In other ways, I think at least the female sexual revolution was really important as far as um, female rights and being able to own and have a role in their sexuality as Mm -hmm. well. But yeah, I mean... And that's a side that might I don't, be another I don't episode. Know. That would be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's that's another blind spot of mine is I don't know a lot about how feminism has changed female sexuality and and what kind of liberation that's brought and you know the benefits there. So that would be fun to talk about. Later. <laughs> I'm always in for feminism um, debates. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Let's talk about now some of those things you've mentioned. Um, moving forward, even if we have different conclusions about all of these, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the things that you would like to see addressed that might improve, like you said, lowering the amount of abortions that women find themselves needing or wanting? Yeah. So when I was doing my master's, part of my capstone project was researching this. and I What was your master's in? It was in public administration, okay. nonprofit management. And um, I loved it. This was my favorite project I did in probably all of school. But we looked at all the research about how 
what actually works, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty practical and you know, and I think this is a complex issue and we can talk about it all day. But for me, I'm like, let's look at what, what could actually lower abortion. Yeah. Um, and I think a huge one is comprehensive sex education. Okay. That's something I'm very passionate about. Now, I do happen to live in a state where many people would disagree with me. Uh-huh. I know that. Utah teaches abstinence plus. Um, and I I personally don't feel like that's effective. Um, ideally, sex education would happen in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, in many homes, it doesn't. And I think comprehensive sex education is not linked to higher teen sex or promiscuity. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't increase sexual activity, okay. but it makes it smarter and it makes it safer. And, I th- and it decreases teen pregnancy in states that have comprehensive sex education. So that's what I'm really passionate okay. about. Um, the other is birth control. Um, Many organizations, especially religious organizations, won't cover it. Or mm-hmm. um, and the Ob- Obamacare actually helped a lot and and made most companies it kind of be a, a mandatory coverage for mm-hmm. women. Um, there's a religious exemption, however. That being said, I'm also really passionate about both male and female responsibility in birth control. Um, And this is something that isn't often talked about. And I think that's because, again, my earlier point of sexuality being more of the women's responsibility to control. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a major evidence of that is that most birth control right now is female-based. And so I'm passionate about developing male birth control or just at least responsibility for men to use birth control or to ensure their partners are on birth control and that everyone's being smart about it. Um, Because the truth is, too, I think we have another issue that we could talk about, about the role that men play in the lives of their children Mm -hmm. once the children are born. (laughs) We could talk about. But I, I think... If we truly want to minimize abortions, then we've got to look at prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes birth control and, and sex education. And then I would say too, I'm, I think it's important too to know, and this is not really about a prevention, but for me, a, a key issue, as I alluded to before, is about female equality. And mm-hmm. I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is my favorite Supreme Court justice, uh-huh. um, when she was being confirmed to the Supreme Court back in the 90s, Um, She was asked about Roe v. Wade and her opinions, and she gave a really famous um, opinion. And she's had a few famous opinions about this issue. But um, she said something along the lines of, women will never truly be equals to men in society if they cannot control their own sexuality or their own bodies Mm -hmm. and have body autonomy. Mm -hmm. And so I I just wanted to mention that that's so key for me in all of this, is if women can't be the ones to decide what happens to them, I think think that's very problematic when a government that is primarily male would, you know, force a woman to carry out a pregnancy. I have a lot of issues with that. Right. And, and so that's huge to me, just to mention that that's kind of the core for me is like a woman has to be able to control her own body and her own destiny, um, or else she will always be subjugated. Mm. And um, so that's really key. But yeah, sorry. Cool. So I just wanted to mention that. No, that's great. Um, I want to ask you more about the male responsibility. I, again, I'm not an expert on this and I haven't studied the numbers. I imagine there are many abortions that happen because the male leaves. 
Is that a fair, like, yeah, I he mean, just disappears and he's not there to provide support, emotional or financial? Are there ways that we can improve that? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I think right now, um, you know, and I, I don't know either the percentage of, of that reasoning um, of not feeling like the father is in the picture. I imagine that's a good chunk, but male responsibility is pretty minimal. One, we do have child support laws. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of teeth behind them. You know, there's not a, a great accountability for men to stick around and to, and to parent a child. Part of that is societal. In general, I think we don't place enough responsibility on men for parenting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not 50-50 at all. Yeah. And it's not even close to that in, in many places. So that's a societal issue that I, I would love to see addressed. And I think part of that could be creating laws that do have some more teeth that men, if they're going to father a child, have to be responsible yeah. and have to be part of that child's life as much as the mother. Yeah. I agree completely. What about things like maternity leave and paternity sure. leave? If those could be improved, I just feel the hopelessness that pushes women to look for an abortion, if we can alleviate some of that, right? Sure. I, I think um, I would love to see more parental leave policies. A lot of companies are, are embracing them, and I think that's really important because that gets back to what I said about societally, we need to encourage men to be part of parenting mm -hmm. more than they um, are asked yeah. to nowadays. And so, first of all, we don't even have paid maternity leave in this country. So I would address that first, but- At a federal level, right? At a Is federal that, level right, okay. and a lot of states, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now it's unpaid. So I think that's huge for women to be able to stay in the workplace and contribute fully to society. So I would I address that first. Family, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but second, I think both- Mothers and fathers should be around when their kids mm -hmm. are first born and um, should have that freedom to not be scared of losing their livelihood, yeah. but be able to interact with that child and bond with that child, especially in those first few critical months. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, if you're asking for my wishes, <laughs> that's on it. <laughs> and then you yeah. mentioned um, male birth control. Yeah. What, I don't even know, like, what's out, I mean, okay, condoms. Sure. What and, would and you condoms, say to people that say, condoms oh, are there are? 99% effective, so uh -huh. plug for condoms, they're great. <laughs> However, uh, they did, it was a couple years ago, they tried to develop a male birth control pill. Mm -hmm. And it works, but the study was kind of shut down because of complaints of the side effects. And believe me, women know about the side effects of birth control. Yeah. Um, and that's why yeah, there's, a lot, right? there's a lot, there's a lot. I mean, it's, it's hormonal. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of stories about that that I could get into, but there's just has never been a lot of social pressure or push mm -hmm. to keep developing that male birth control, right? And there are reversible vasectomies. We could develop a pill just as easily for men. Mm -hmm. um, and if all men were on birth control, we would, you know, we'd never have another yeah. unplanned pregnancy again, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so. it goes back to what you were saying about just women having to bear the responsibility and the brunt of the work and the side effects of birth control and the 
the consequences of that and men kind of walk free. Yeah, I I alluded to this blog post earlier and it's just this woman talking about how Technically, all pr- unplanned pregnancies are a man's I fault. I think I've read this. Have you read that? Think, yeah. <laughs> because a woman can have as much sex as she wants, as many orgasms as she wants, excuse my candor, <laughs> no, I think it's and still not get herself pregnant, <laughs> yeah. right? A woman can have as much sex in her life and be fine. Anytime a man comes and she uses the term irresponsibly, irresponsibly ejaculates, that's when an unplanned mm-hmm. pregnancy happens. Right. And so... If we reframed it that way, that men need to be responsible for that sexual encounter, because you know, for men to orgasm, there is that element of potential pregnancy, right. and that's not true on the female side. Right. And so, I think if we kind of switch the discussion that way, and and it's kind of a, almost a catch twenty two, but that's why it's hard because it's females' bodies who are the ones who carry pregnancy, mm-hmm. and so for a lot of women, it's it's really important that they have birth control because they want to control that. But on the flip side, right, men have to be more responsible and have to be more invested um, with that. So yeah, I I would love a development of a more accessible birth control pill for men. Cool, yeah. Interesting. Are there any other aspects of this that you want to talk about or bring up, mentioned? Hmm. (laughs) Before we just, I've got like a few wrap-up kind of things, but- I would just say I think this was a really good discussion. Yeah. I know we don't agree on everything. And I would say, too, I'm sure there are people who will listen that will will disagree with me. Mm-hmm. And I totally respect that. Like I said, I'm, I'm not an expert. And I hope that my point of view has at least helped kind of understand where a lot of women feel like they're coming from. And, and I would just say let's have empathy for these women instead of putting them in this really negative light. Let's have empathy for their situations, you know, for many um, women. And and I just think for me, when I think about this issue, I don't think it should be government telling what to do. I think it's a personal decision for a woman, hopefully her partner's there as well, Mm -hmm. and for her doctor to say, what is the best course of action for me and my life and my family? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those are private personal decisions you know, and that's why I think Roe v. Wade was such an important compromise. So that's kind of key. Sorry cool. if I'm repeating myself. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, I want to thank you for being willing to come and talk about this because it is a tough topic, but I think it's been really great to have Good. you and have your expertise and your experience. Now I want to kind of step back and ask you about the conversation we had. Okay. <laughs> like, because this podcast, it's a little bit about the issues, but it's also a little bit about just having conversations. Right. So, in this conversation, and we've talked a little bit about this, but what do you think helps the conversation go well? What do you think hinders conversation, especially yeah. on this subject? Yeah, we've hit on it a little bit. I think something that's so important for me that I discovered in college is to surround yourself with people who disagree with you. Mm. If we get into our silos and our vacuums of just, it's an echo chamber and all it does is push us to the extremes. In college for about three years, um, I had this group of friends, we called ourselves Philosopher's Sunday. We met every Sunday and we talked about politics and these issues and, you know, religion because there was kind of a four 
four of us who were all on different parts of the political mm-hmm. spectrum. You know, I was more liberal, my friend was more conservative and then libertarian and kind of centrist, right? So we kind of had it all. Yeah. And what worked so well is that we just love and respect each other so much. I yeah. mean, those three are some of my all-time favorite people in the world. And it was so important for me to surround myself with them because they keep me grounded. They yeah. remind me that people on the other side who disagree with me are still competent, wonderful, thoughtful, loving yeah. people. And so sometimes if I find myself villainizing the other side, I'll call up my friend Taylor and I'll say, hey, you're someone who's very conservative. Talk to me about this issue yeah. because I value you. And so. I think that's so key to these discussions. I think that's why this one is working, right? Because Mm -hmm. I know you from high school Uh and I know you're like a smart, thoughtful guy and I respect you. And so even though we might disagree about some of these things, we have to remember to not vilify the other side. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's so key. What am I... Favorite books I've read recently is Creativity, Inc. It's the story of Pixar and how Pixar was founded and how it... Um, has just done such amazing work. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it is talking about how they handle creative decisions and how they get feedback. And so much of it is having people that will push back and give candid feedback and their diversity really was their strength. Mm-hmm. But it's so cool to me that, like you said, your friends are the closest friends that you might have. And I mentioned this in the introductory episode, but there was a study that found that one in six people have severed a family or friend relationship because of politics, Mm. specifically the 2016 election. And so our diversity can tear us apart, but if we let it, I think it really can become our greatest strength. And I think that's my goal with this podcast is is learning how to find strength in our, our diversity. I love that. And I will say, like, if we can just respect and love each other and still disagree, it's so important. So I love it. Cool. Um, You mentioned a couple times in an article that that you wanted to share. Yeah. At the end of these, because like we said, I'm not an expert. I feel like you're a little more of an expert than I I am in this. (laughs) But I did want to, I mean, these discussions aren't supposed to be expert conversations. But for those listening, I did want to provide some kind of resource if you want to go learn more. What have you got? One that I really love is called We Already Know How to Safely Reduce Abortions. Um, And I'll post a link to this. Yeah, post a link. It's from the Huffington Post. um, And it's really good. It just, it goes through all the research that I kind of hinted at and talks about, like it has all these really helpful charts and graphs about what has worked to reduce abortions. Mm -hmm. And it kind of walks through the arguments and the data behind them. And so for me, it was just a really practical article that I love. And awesome. I can I can reference a lot. So awesome, thank you. And I'll post a link to that video with Jordan Peterson. Now to end, this is called "I Have Good News" and I have good news. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, something cool that's going on in the world right now? <laughs> so I have to put a plug in to the amazing organization I work for. I work for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, mm-hmm. um, and we raise money for 170 children's hospitals across North America. So one thing that's going on right now is we're doing a Walmart campaign. So if you go to any Walmart across North America, you'll be asked to donate at the register, and I hope you'll consider doing that. We, I get to meet the most amazing kids. I have been fortunate to see these kids go through so much, mm-hmm. these incredibly hard things, and they are so resilient. 
And so if you ever need a pick-me-up, feel like you just need a breather or some really good inspiration in your life, see what goes on in our children's hospitals. One of our children's hospitals is here in Salt Lake, Primary Children's, and they just do amazing things to help these kids feel like kids while they're going through um, difficult things. And that has really brought so much hope and humanity (laughs) in my life that these amazing kids are so resilient and they're overcoming so much. And um, that gives me a lot of hope for the future. That's awesome. Well, good for you. (laughs) Thanks, Um, There's an organization called Save the Storks. Do you know who they are? Mm Mm-mm. We did, so I work at an ad agency and we did kind of a campaign with them for a few videos. They're a really cool organization. They outfit vans and drive around the country uh, with ultrasound equipment. Oh. Um, and they're a pro-life organization, but they, they work very hard to not pressure anybody. Mm. Their goal is to provide options. And so they they do. They work with the mother to provide her with resources after the birth if she decides to have the have the child. And they'll provide her with resources to take care of it, to provide for it, financial aid, that kind of stuff. They offer ultrasounds in those vans so that women can hopefully make the best informed decision. Mm-hmm. That's their goal. So mm-hmm. I think they're, that's a really cool organization that's doing a lot of really cool work. Interesting. So I'll link to them too. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming. This has been awesome. I really, really appreciate it because it is a tough topic and I appreciate you being willing to talk about it. Well, thanks for having me, Bryson. I think this is awesome. So keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Hi, this is Tia. I just wanted to call in and say I really look forward to trying to implement some of the things that you're discussing on the podcast with family members who are, you know, on on either side of the political spectrum. So thanks for thanks for the hope that maybe some calm, productive conversations could be possible. Wish you the best. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elephant Dialogues. Before we end, I want to summarize what I hope we accomplished in this episode. Abortion is a really tough subject, and I know we didn't cover everything. There are a lot of aspects of this that we didn't get to, but my goal here wasn't to solve the issue of abortion. My goal here was to focus on motivation and understanding that even if we disagree with someone, we can seek to understand their motivations. At the beginning of this episode, we talked about motive attribution asymmetry. The idea that we see our own ideology as based in love and that of our opponents as based in hate. Arthur Brooks talks about this research in his book, Love Your Enemies. Here's what he says. The researchers found that a majority of Republicans and Democrats today suffer from a level of motive attribution asymmetry that is comparable to that of Palestinians and Israelis. In both cases, the two sides think that they are driven by benevolence, while the other side is evil and motivated by hate. Therefore, neither side is willing to negotiate or compromise. The author continues with this. Think about what this means. We are headed to the point where achieving bipartisan compromise on issues from immigration to guns to confirming a Supreme Court justice is as difficult as achieving Middle East peace. We may not be engaging in daily violence against each other, but we can't make progress as a society when both sides believe that they are motivated by love while the other side is motivated by hate. Finally, I am not an expert on abortion. These conversations I have are not meant to cover every detail or aspect of an issue or to convince you that one side is right or wrong. I want you to go and have your own conversations. 
using the tools we talk about here. So next time something like abortion comes up and you find yourself assuming that someone's position is based in hate, take a step back and ask them about their underlying motivations. Really work to understand their motivations before jumping into the details and the nitty gritty. So that's all we've got for this week. In future episodes, we'll focus more on how we can share our own perspectives and how to discuss facts and details. I'm Bryson Alley, and this is The Elephant Dialogues. Subscribe, leave us a review, and join us in our experiment in better conversations.